welcome to season two of the ISC podcast. My name is Genevieve Stowe, and throughout this series, I will talk with industry leaders about their career journeys and what they've learned along the way. It won't just be me doing the interviewing though, there'll be cameos from the ISC team and even some ISC members too. Some of these episodes have been pre-recorded with a live audience. Therefore, some of the questions you hear will have come from ISC members themselves, and we request your patience with any technical issues we might have had. In this week's episode of the podcast, we're going back to December 2020, where ISC Canada Aspire Chair Alex Spence spoke with Tina Luciani. Tina and Alex spent some time exploring particular business insights from the reinsurance industry and in particular, the risks posed by the pandemic. Tina also discussed her career journey and the things which she views as most important for self-development, including leveraging a network and self-investment. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Um, Hi, everyone. My name's Alexandra Spence. I'm thrilled to be in conversation with Tina Luciani this morning. Tina is the SVP of or sorry, Senior Vice President of Claims at Swiss Re in Canada. Um, Just a quick background on me, and then I'm going to pass it on to Tina. Uh, I work at Berkeley Canada. Berkeley Canada is a commercial specialty um, insurer in Canada. I am the AVP of distribution, and recently I took on a... um, I guess, more impactful or a bigger role within the ISC community. And I am the chair of the Aspire program here in Canada. I don't know how everyone else has found the last nine months, but I found that these touch points with the ISC community to be extremely valuable. It's given me a sense of community within the isolation. And I've also found it fascinating to learn and get exposure to leaders such as Tina that we never otherwise will. So with that, I'd like to pass it on, Tina, if I could ask you to start with giving us a sense of your your career background and and journey and anything else you think might be relevant or of interest for those on the call to get to to know you better, because I think that that's what we're hoping to do today to both build, get to know you, get some insights out of you and hear more about some advice and thoughts you might have on the coaching and development um, aspect of, um, I guess, work. <laughs> okay, that. great. Thank you, Alex. And uh, first and foremost, thank you to the ISC group for inviting me. And Alex, thank you for, for hosting me today. It's a pleasure to be here to talk to you. Um, To give a little bit of a background about myself, I actually first started in insurance at the primary uh, level in 1996. I started with a PNC direct carrier where I was um, selling personal lines and servicing their existing policies. And from um, sales and service, I went into claims. It was just always an interest to me and I never left it. I just fell in love with it. Uh, I started off in physical damage, and then I went into the injury unit, and I did about um, a stent in, obviously, accident benefits and bodily injury, and then I moved on into the casualty space and dabbled into that for a while as well and quite enjoyed that. I have held various leadership roles, um, both within claims units and also with vendor management and also with litigation units. In, in my career in the primary world. And I, and I sort of got to a point where 
I really wanted to do something different, something where I could immerse myself um, so that I was really learning new things. Um, I didn't wanna feel completely like a fish out of water, but I wanted the opportunity to use my transferable skills in a, in a very meaningful way. And through many of the CIP courses that I took, learning more about reinsurance, uh, it really intrigued me. And so when the opportunity had come up with Swiss Re, which is a global uh, reinsurance company, I jumped at the chance. Um, started off in the claims expert role, um, was assigned various uh, students, which are um, insurance companies uh, across Canada, and we also cover the English Caribbean as well, um, and was uh, shortly after promoted to my current role, which is Senior Vice President, overseeing both Canada and the English Caribbean. That's fantastic. Thank you, Tina. Your comment around um, taking CIP courses, so that's... Mm -hmm. Chartered Insurance Professional courses for anyone yep. in Canada, um, yep. but I actually had a similar experience in that the reinsurance course was my favorite. That's just a funny. Oh, okay, that's funny that you say that. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. So and I've I've done my CIP. I've also um, completed my um, my yellow belt in lean six lean six sigma. Sorry, um, okay. which I thought was I I loved it. I'd love to actually work on my green belt as well. Um, and and learn how to uh, take those principles and, and apply them, you know, in a strategic setting in the business uh, world as well. So um, my next venture, which I really want to do is my CRM. I'm quite interested in that as well. So um, yeah, I, th I think for me, um, you know, learning is, is, is a big part of my life. Um, and, and I hope to inspire my, my children so that they recognize that learning never stops once you finish um, high school, university, it just, it continues. So that I'm a big proponent of that. And I find that it's a good way to not only challenge yourself, um, but also in doing so, as what happened in my career is it opened up my eyes to other potential career paths, which I may not have been aware of had I had stayed focused in, in you know, my same role. Right, exactly. So the, the, learning and knowledge being power and and sort of door door opening for you door opening yeah absolutely yeah. really helpful and now um we didn't put you mentioned children would you mind sharing if you don't oh know, sure because of sure. the community um, yeah. a little bit about that yeah so i have three children i have um, a son who is 11 so he's in elementary school i have a daughter who is 17 she's just finishing up grade 12 and another daughter who's 18 who has just started uh virtually although she's still living in residence uh, university so she's out at university of waterloo studying her bba and that's uh quite interesting for her because despite the fact that she's in laurier she's actually online um with the exception of two labs and it's just interesting because um, obviously in, in, in business uh, programs, there's a huge emphasis on um, you know, collaborating and uh, team projects. So it's been a bit of an interesting, I think, journey for her trying to collaborate in a virtual environment. Um, and, and it's interesting hearing about her experiences because of course I can relate as well as we all can in this call that we've had to very quickly adapt um, uh, to only virtual uh, interactions with both clients and also with peers um, and cross-functional teams. So it's, it's mm -hmm. interesting to me how humans um, have an innate ability to very, very quickly adapt to circumstances. So I think we've done exceptionally well. And as an industry, I think we've done exceptionally well in that manner too. 
And that was a great segue for me to uh, start. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, to, to start opening up some of our discussion around um, what I'm calling business insights, but I don't know if it really needs a label, but uh, um, I'd be curious um, as a starting point, um, you you're on the reinsurance side and you mentioned that you have previous to the going on the reinsurance side, you were on the um, carrier side. Mm -hmm. uh, I work on the carrier side. I have a sense of what happens on the reinsurance side, but I'm curious because I know how claims works on from from our side. But how do you get involved with claims and mm. sort of what what are the differences? I'd be I just think that might level set it for us um, to get sure. a sense like even to who would your customer be? Right. No. Thank you for asking that. So, I mean, fundamentally, um reinsurance basically is insurance for insurance companies. So we help keep the economy and communities and, and our insurance partners solvent. Um, we help provide uh, additional capital. And so that really helps them in terms of providing an array of products for their clients. First and foremost, I think where fundamentally we differ is really in our licensing. So insurance companies are licensed to be able to uh, transact directly to the public we are not. So we are transacting only with insurance companies. Um, and, and in some cases we may um, operate with, um, with MGAs as well. Um, right. or there are insurance companies that operate with MGAs as well. So I think that that's where the big fundamental difference is. And I would say in addition to that, um, many insurance companies are more locally, regionally, or nationally based. Um, there's a few that are international, that have international reach. Whereas with insurance companies, you really do um, have that global reach because of the fact that they're internationally based. So with that said, uh, you know, you, you have, a, I think, a greater line of sight to many different market segments, but you also have a line of sight to all lines of businesses. Um, you know, life and health on the one end of, of the spectrum, and then on the other, which is the area that I'm in, which is PNC. And within PNC itself, even at the primary level, um, they may be licensed to deal directly with a certain particular line of business. Whereas in reinsurance PNC, what I find so fascinating um, is that you get all lines of businesses, right? So you get things that you may not necessarily have been exposed to in the primary market, such as um, engineering, specialty lines, agriculture, aquaculture, marine, uh, aviation. So, I mean, the list goes on and on, obviously, but uh, that's where I personally find um, excitement in, in the different uh, arrays of, of types of claims um, that, that pop up. Right, because I guess on the carrier side, you could be specialized by line of business potentially in a, in a claim right. role, whereas in your current maybe claims role, you're seeing the whole, what your whole gamut, right? Yeah. Okay. okay. So for example, uh, a company, yeah, like a company, for example, such as um, a TD Insurance may be licensed to write personal lines and, and restrict mm -hmm. to, you know, personal property and auto and homes, whereas... Uh, you know, a company such as Intact may write credit insurity, they might, they may write event cancellation, they may write on um, uh, commercial, 
commercial insurance, et cetera. So yeah, it depends on, on what they're licensed to write. Whereas at the reinsurance level, we're sort of covering it all. And, and what's interesting about reinsurance too, is the different types of products that we can offer clients, uh, such as, you know, intact, as you're done, et cetera, where you're looking at their entire portfolio and trying to um, help them come up with different solutions and different products in their, in their entire portfolio, whether it's from a facultative perspective or it's an entire treaty perspective. So. Yeah, the risk managers for the risk managers in a way. Right, yeah, and we also work with public sector as well, um, which is quite fascinating. So it's, it's not just limited to, you know, personal, uh, or sorry, primary insurance carriers. Okay, thank you for giving us sort of that ba baseline just to make sure. Um, and it is interesting to hear the differences. Um, Thinking about this year, and obviously, mm -hmm. like so many people now, as we enter officially December, everyone's looking forward to maybe saying goodbye to 2020 <laughs> and the exceptional year that it has been. Um, I think there's been, anyways, I'm curious, what key takeaways would you, do you think you've seen in terms of how the markets reacted to what has been 2020? Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, if I could come up with a hashtag for 2020, it would be hashtag <laughs> unprecedented. Um, and, and in addition like to that, that I would say, I feel like, you know, it's, it's say an Ariana Grande song, you know, thank you next. Like, let's move on. So, Those are great references. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. I've, I've never been a huge proponent for, um, you know, celebrating New Year's Eve. I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm a little bit more quiet and we kind of like to just hang out and, uh, you know, go skiing or whatever, do something a little bit more quiet. But I have to say this year, I'm breaking something open. I don't know what that looks like, <laughs> champagne, a couple of bottles, whatever the case is, but I'm definitely celebrating December 31st and, and looking for a new. Um, yeah, so I mean, with that said, I, you know, what's made 2020 exceptional? I mean, there's been three, three obvious things come to my mind, right? So the first thing is um, you, you look at the 100 year events. There have been yep. multiple 100 year events. Um, that have that have occurred globally they've occurred simultaneously in some cases um you know when you're looking at what's happened for example in in china and the rangzi river um, the amount of flooding that happened in several different provinces you look at the australia wildfires california wildfires oregon and then the 30 named atlantic hurricanes all that happened um you know within the early part of the fall um, it, it's just, it's 2020 has been the year that's just the gift that keeps on giving for some reason. Um, you know, and, and then, um, you know, obviously within Canada, I mean, we had some significant NACAD activity in, in Canada, specifically in Alberta, um, with the largest hailstorm ever to the tune of 1.4 billion in, in Calgary, um, the flooding in Calgary in April. Then, of course, we had also uh, another hail event in, in July. Um, so it's it's the multitude of um, natural catastrophes um, that has occurred uh, with with the advent of climate change um, and the impact of, of that, and then of course also there's the, uh, the let's you know look at the big elephant in the room here the global pandemic I mean mm -hmm. no one could have foreseen the the impact that it's had to the economy to societies to communities to to people losing their their careers their jobs. Um, you know, looking how it's impacted credit insurity, it's impacted trade, it's impacted business health risks. Um, and then there's social unrest, right? So the un untimely death of George Floyd, the 
Black Lives Matter movement. Um, you know, this has also impacted corporations and corporations really taking a stronger look at their diversity and inclusion initiatives and also really looking at um, other initiatives, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, how do we really not just um, bring in more diversity and inclusion, but how do we truly promote from, from within and really make a difference? And then I, I look at companies really taking a longer term view of um, you know, their, their risk modeling and their sustainability efforts at large. So really looking at things differently, how do we transact business di differently? The need for travel, um, reevaluating that, our carbon footprint, looking at that, trying to minimize that. So I think that in very, very fundamental ways, uh, the events that have occurred this year have really changed the way companies are strategically moving forward. You know, and you even think in terms of um, strategic plans, um, companies that are, are looking at uh, technological capabilities and may have been looking towards, you know, in the year 2024 or 2025, all of a sudden with the pandemic, the global pandemic, we've been catapulted into the future where we've had to now um, be up and running in, in a very short period of time virtually. And I think we've done, as I said, a tremendous job in, in doing that. So, you know, in terms of the impact on how, how has it affected, um, you know, how we transact and do business, I think it's made us really reevaluate how we interact with clients, um, yes. how we can engage differently and, and very meaningfully in a virtual environment. But we also have to think about the safety, right? The safety of our clients, uh, you know, it's it's obviously opened up more doors for fraudulent activity. Um, mm -hmm. Be mindful of that. Um, also engagement, not just engaging with clients, but also with our staff, with each other. Mm -hmm. It's how do we, you know, there's there's a lot of fatigue right now. There's video fatigue. There's, there's virtual fatigue. People are just craving to be together, to be to be with other people. So um, it's a matter of really recognizing the health and well-being of us all, and how does that translate with even our families? You know, you know, at what point do you turn it off at night and go back to your families? And I think it's taken quite a few of us a long time to recognize that we need to shut off and and really make a concerted effort to really focus time with family because you need to sort of um, disconnect and reduce. Everyone needs that as well. Yeah, it's um, whatever lines you maybe had between your work, personal life, everything is now a circle because you don't <laughs> leave the house either. So I find <laughs> it's interesting, but I think it's it's an just an interesting time to, like you said, intersect your family in more meaningful ways throughout your day. I don't know. There's, there's lots to that, but I think I had a question when you're, you made some commentary around the um, Nat cats, right? Yes. Natural catastrophes. And I was curious as you're doing your modeling um, globally, do we feel that or insurance in general is going to be able to cover the losses that we're going to continue to see? Cause I've, I've my, limited understanding is every year that pot that we're paying out is getting bigger so are we going mm -hmm. is what going to be able to sustain us um, right. just curious how you, how you guys are thinking about it yeah no i think that's an excellent question an excellent point and i mean 
if, if I could have any takeaways thus far from 2020, what, what's really come apparent to me is that companies have proven and our industry has proven how resilient we really are. You know, in terms of all of these, um, the insured um, catastrophes, the, the insured catastrophe losses globally in the first half of 2020 was to the tune of 31 billion US dollars that was covered by us, by our insurance market. So when you think about that, I mean, that, that's 40% of the economic losses. So there is still at large a big protection gap there, absolutely. But I still think that given everything that's transpired this year, um, all of the hardships that we've dealt with, I think our, our economy really has stood the test of resiliency in a very meaningful way. Um, I think that what it has done is, is we need to think and reapproach our traditional modeling methods as well in mm -hmm. terms of what has it taught us about these hundred year events? I mean, I don't think any underwriter could have possibly contemplated within a given year, when you think about diversification of risk, that you would be having natural catastrophes in one part of the world and at the exact same time in several other parts of the world all simultaneously. Um, and yet here we are, we, we were still able to, um, to uh, divvy capital, to, to ensure that companies were, were able to continue business and, and continue to um, ensure that communities can, can rebuild. And, um, and again, I think that that's a great testament to the industry that we're in and how strong we are. Am I concerned about the future? I think I am concerned about the future when I think about our risk modeling and that we need to be um, as transparent as possible with education and awareness to the general public in terms of what insurance companies can fundamentally insure um, to, to, to be sustainable going forward, that, that we absolutely do want to work towards coming up with new innovative products, um, but that we have to be mindful that if we want to still be here at this time next year, we, we do have to make some very um, prudent decisions and be very pra pragmatic in terms of being able to get our arms around something so amorphous in size, such as pandemics or even, you know, climate change, um, to better understand what the future risks look like because they will not look the same as they did three years ago, four years ago. Risks are evolving and so too must insurance products, but they have to evolve in such a way that is sustainable. And I think that's such a good point, just that risks are evolving. So as an industry, we need to continue to evolve to make sure that we're providing the coverage and um, the resiliency for the business community. Um, mm -hmm. I'd be curious if during the, the last few, few months, nine months, however long it's been, the claims experience and um, maybe the way that, um, what am I trying to ask you here? <laughs> Let me try restating it. So based on your reinsurance insurance experience, in claims, mm -hmm. I'm curious if these of how these events have impacted claims resolution and the approach to how we're settling it for the business community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, if I can go back on, and I, and I apologize if I didn't clearly articulate this at the beginning when you're asking the difference between reinsurance um, and primary insurance claims, in that we don't um, get directly involved. Um, with the public, we, we would uh, reimburse clients essentially once their indemnity losses have met a certain threshold and it would be right. retention. 
right? Um, but with that said, what I have note, noted and, and sort of main takeaways in terms of what we have learned this far is that, I mean, there's a, there's a number of things. In terms of claims response, we need to, um, I think, I, I think companies are really clearly on a path to improving our claims responses by utilizing people and resources and technological capabilities in very different ways. So companies already were on the process of, um, you know, moving to um, an interactive platform with clients so that clients can upload photos, et cetera, so that they can uh, ascertain what the damages were, but you still have those situations such as a hail event where you still need to send in uh, boots on the ground. So you still need to send in an independent adjuster or an adjuster to go and assess the loss. So I believe where sort of future technological capabilities and innovations are going to be a real focus on um, is, is to avoid situations where we have delays with, um, with people that are uh, unable to access sites. So, you know, for example, with, with the pandemic, it was quite difficult for companies, and I'm talking about the smaller, medium-sized companies, not the larger ones who have local presence um, for adjusters, but smaller, medium-sized companies that may rely heavily on hiring uh, and outsourcing to independent adjusting firms. Well, if they didn't have um, enough boots on the ground within that province and they had to take from out of province, there's licensing requirements, number one. Mm -hmm. So that that held up the process. Number two, if you're bringing people outside of province, whether from the States or interprovincially within Canada, um, they'd have to quarantine for 14 days. So that held up the ability to go in and assess a risk. Similarly, we've seen the same situations in the English Caribbean where they've had hurricanes um, so had nothing to do with the pandemic, but because of uh, inaccessibility to the, the um, properties themselves um, due to major flooding, et cetera, it took some time before they were able to get in to actually assess the risk. Well, where I see sort of the future of claims going is more heavily relying on technological capabilities, whether it's the use of drones or whether it's having um, individuals property assessed rate from the outset. So from at the underwriting point um, to better understand what their contents coverage is, all of that thing, you know, all of that stuff, um, better understanding the, the building property itself. Um, and obviously I'm talking specifically about property insurance right now because it's an easier uh, way to explain this. Um, but if, if an insurance company has very detailed analysis on their insured properties that have now suffered a loss. And it would be easier to, to address those losses, let's say in you know, a virtual platform, as opposed to waiting until somebody comes in and assesses that damage. So I'm hoping that as an industry, we get to that point. And then the connection would be having an, a better understanding of what the loss actually equates to in dollar figures and you know, having electronic funds transferred to that client expeditiously. So, so you're obviously cutting down your costs, your um, operational costs, and you're also um, impacting the customer satisfaction as well for a quicker settlement of a claim. So I'm not sure if that entirely answers the question, but I sort of see if anything, what we've learned from um, in this recent pandemic and addressing certain, uh, certain losses, ever more the need to really improve our, our technology capabilities to be able to much more quickly assess and settle claims as we move forward. And with that said, obviously there's, you know, we have to be 
particularly um, cautious about uh, about the risks, the fraudulent risks that are involved in that, whether it's um, people submitting um, fraudulent claims or whether there's the risk on, uh, you know, cyber risks as well in terms of that, that platform interfacing between clients. Before we switch gears and go more into the, and, and you did answer my question, and I think what's interesting is anyone from an insurer side, and, and I'm part of that, any plans you had in terms of digital investment or what you thought you would need and that roadmap, everything's been um, accelerated and it's mm -hmm. been fascinating to see what solutions have come, how quickly solutions have come. And, mm -hmm. and I think too, everyone's getting more comfortable with the idea of learning as you go, mm -hmm. um, which I think will just hopefully enable the client experience to be that much better because um, that's ultimately what we're selling, right? Like we're in the business of um, bringing businesses back to what they were prior to the loss. Um, Tina, did you have anything else you wanted to add before we switch gears in terms of business insights or, um, I know that's really broad, but, um, um, in terms of business insights, no, I, I don't know if I'd have anything further to add right now, other than the fact that I think, you know, again, now that, now that we've been in this, um, virtual environment and I hate to say it, but unfortunately with, uh, so many people out of out of jobs, um, yes. and the fact that we are on a complete 100% virtual environment right now. Again, I think it's just important to recognize the um, the risks uh, that are inherent with fraud, whether it's you know people pursuing um, personal injury or personal injury claims that are fraudulent, personal property claims that are fraudulent, or again um, opportunistic fraud, uh, you know, with respect to cyber. So I think that that's just something that, and I'm sure, you know, every company is aware of that, but it's a matter of really engaging um, with your cross-functional stakeholders to, to ensure that you're protecting your company, your staff, and your clients as well. Um, and I guess the other thing I would just talk about, uh, which I, I didn't chat about, and I, I think we want to give kudos again to, to our industries, how very quickly everybody uh, was able to be up and running in a remote environment in such a very short period of time. And I think that that really does give us pause to also recognize the need to constantly look at our business continuity plans, to review them, to revise them and adapt where, where we see fit. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, many business continuity plans were written years ago with contemplation in mind of a physical catastrophe to let's say your office building. So you would think of, okay, if something happens, the office burns down or whatever the case it may be, where might um, our staff continue at an operating at a different location? I'm not sure that any one particular plan really truly contemplated the global pandemic that we're in now um, and ensuring that everybody could be up working remotely for right now an uncertain period of time. So I, I just think that that's something that we really do need to continue to focus on too, is to look at and say, what else may, may come out if, if there's a, you know, a severe cyber attack. Um, you know, we're now working in a, in a virtual environment remotely. How will we continue to transact and deliver to our clients um, in the face of a, a severe uh, cyber attack? So those are just things that I would say, you know, we, we need to constantly be vigilant of and constantly um, think outside the box. 
Yeah, that that just to sort of add to that fraud commentary, because I feel like now the um, that's on, on a lot of um, senior teams mind. Mm -hmm. Do you because fraud and from a claims perspective, I'm curious, do you then see that increasing leading to increasing costs across the board? Um, because fraud is now maybe not more prevalent, but sometimes it feels like it's happening, but in bigger chunks, if that makes sense. So like um, the attacks are asking for more money or they're, they're whatever. I think you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that there's, yeah, they're, they're, com they're becoming, I think, a little bit more clever. Let's just say that. Exactly. And, and, and it's not just, um, I'm not just referring to, um, you know, uh, cyber fraud. I'm, I'm also referring to, you know, very clever plaintiff lawyers. That's what, um, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Right. So, so well. I, I just think we have to be vigilant that as our risks evolve, um, think about how that risk is evolving and how we as an industry are responding to it. So, and, and it brings it back to, you know, when we think about business models changing too, is thinking about on um, our risk modeling in the future and their risk appetite and, and how we're approaching that. Because we still want to, I mean, let's face it, we're in the business of rebuilding. So we're in the business of resiliency and building that. Um, so how do we do that? Again, very efficiently and very pragmatically. And I'm not sure anybody has the, you know, the, the golden answer to that. Um, but that's just something that, you know, as I said, it's, if, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that all of a sudden, as much as we were thinking in the future, it's just pushed us in the future right now. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's, it's interesting and, and will be interesting to see what 2021 um, is, is like from so many different um, standpoints. Uh, I, I think if um, you don't mind, maybe we'll segue into more of the um, career development standpoint. Um, oh, sure. Okay. But I had one, one question in terms of just sort of 2021 outlook. If you're comfortable commenting, I know sometimes it can be challenging. Um, uh, 2020 outlook, it, because that's a pretty broad question. Um, in terms let's of, say in terms of the market. So you're more on the PNC side, right? Business. Um, 20 has there's been a pretty pretty hard market going on in a lot of lines. Um, I know that from Berkeley Canada's standpoint, at this point, um, we don't see it abating any anytime soon. I I hope that's legit that I say that. Right. But uh, I think people are curious to hear what you guys are thinking as an organization, especially on the reinsurance side, because as we sort of chatted about earlier, often what happens at the reinsurance renewal level trickles into the overall market and how conditions are, et cetera. Sure. Um, you know what? I am less frightened and more excited. And I'm being completely honest about that for 2021. The reason for that is because we've learned so much. We have, have absorbed so much. It's been overwhelming um, in 2020. But what it has done, as I said, is it has now forced many of us, if not all of us, to really be very forward thinking in what does the future look like now? And mm -hmm. so what kind of products are we going to come up with? So to me, that's actually very exciting because we're now sort of being forced to really think outside the box very quickly in terms of 
what are the possibilities? What, what possibilities lie out there? What are the needs? So we're now assessing all of that and addressing it. And when I think about risk modeling and how that changes for the future, again, I'm, I'm quite excited about the unknown just because, I mean, that's, that's the risk, or sorry, that's the business that we're in, is, mm-hmm. is really um, trying to, I guess, trying to um, provide a product in the face of uncertainty. That is inherently what we are here to do. And so I feel like this is a moment where insurance companies and reinsurance companies, if if I can be so bold, um, can be a little bit more hubristic to say, you know what, this is our book of business. This is what we do. So we're we're gonna try very hard to wrap our hands around the unknown and come up with these products to help clients, to help companies, um, to help communities to not only um, continue to rebuild their lives, but but to thrive. So it's not survive, it's thrive. Um, so that's what I'm quite excited about. And in terms of, um, you know, what does 2021 look like? Well, it's, it, it, it's not uh, a secret that we absolutely do. Um, we need rate increases, both on the primary level, um, also on the reinsurance level. Uh, and the reason I say that is because we're also looking at, look at all of the activity around the world when we're talking about, you know, this exactly. natural catastrophe disasters that have just been continuously bombarding and they don't seem to let up. So something that would have happened, um, you know, I'm not even talking about a 100 year event. I'm just even talking about, um, you know, floods and and hurricanes, wildfires, et cetera, that have always existed within our um, property modeling. Um, but these are things that are now happening exponentially. Um, and, and so I think that it's now forced us to really think uh, in terms of rate and, and how we're, we're modeling and costing and pricing for that. So, yeah, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm frightened about that or I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I think I'm more excited, excited for possibilities of how are we going to, as, as a, as a industry at large, how are we going to come together as a united front and really help rebuild? And I think it's a great opportunity too, for us to really promote our business for people um, entering the workforce to say, you know what, insurance is a really exciting avenue and a path to take. And, and, and now is a very exciting time. So I think if anything, we should be um, really pushing our, our market more to the masses to, to sort of showcase and highlight the great things that we do as opposed to the big bad insurer or the big bad reinsurer and more to say, look what we've done for communities. In the face of all of this um, adverse events, uh, you know, we, we've still come through shining. We're, we're, still, um, we're still here to help, to help communities. Yeah, I, I love that response. Um, I think I, I agree with you. We have a tremendous opportunity. Um, uh, what um, what are some things that you might have done differently um, in your career? Yeah. A- and or um, so so differently. And then I guess mm-hmm. what do you think that you could be doing to help change the trajectory, maybe of yourself, but of 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 those coming behind you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a fantastic question. And I think everybody, um, you know, when, when you look back on your, your career and you, if you had an opportunity to speak to your younger self, what I would have said unequivocally was to say, expand your scope. 
Meaning, you know, I, I said I was really interested in claims. I fell in love with it and I went that path, which is great. Um, mm -hmm. But if I had the opportunity to do it over again, I would have also um, extended myself to better understand um, underwriting and different pathways there, for sure. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that I can't now. I absolutely can. Um, but I just think it's really important in the in the business of insurance to really understand the full gamut of it, to appreciate, you know, um, reserving an actuary, to appreciate underwriting, to appreciate claims, to appreciate operations, to really understand the full business of it is to immerse yourself in different units so that you can you can better understand the, the interplay between each. And I also think um, it, it just expands your, uh, I guess, your, your horizons in terms of possibilities too, because if you don't push yourself to other areas, you then are almost walking around with blinders on, not even aware of the fact that there could be this fantastic job opportunity that you simply weren't aware of because you've just gone in and did your job day to day. And it's so easy that all of a sudden a week turns into a month, turns into several years later. Um, the one thing, the one advice that I would give to people is to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Growth doesn't come from complacency. And that was one thing, it took me a long time to learn that, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, I stayed in the same role for many years um, and I wish that I would have had somebody to light a fire into me to, to say, you know, Tina, you've been in this role now for a couple of years, um, ask me the why, like get me to really challenge myself. And, and, and if you don't have somebody pushing you to ask you, then you should be asking yourself that. Really take time to, you know, to think about what it is that you're doing, to think about why is it that you're doing it, to think about what pleasure does it give you? Are you in fact happy? And really closely examine it. And for people that are maybe not that happy, examine the why aren't you happy? And, and give yourself the ability uh, to say, you know what, I have the right to be happy. So if I'm not happy, let's examine that further. Let's explore other options. And then start talking to other people find out what other people do within insurance. And the reason I keep saying insurance is because there's so many different avenues. Um, that's why I think it's just such a great field because there's so many different areas that you could go into that really are quite fascinating. And it doesn't mean that you have to spend up to five years in one role. Now, that said, I would never recommend to, to go into a brand new role and, and leave within two years because I think you really, you have to give it a, a a certain amount of time to really be able to fully understand and fully immerse yourself into that role. Um, but don't be frightened to push yourself to something different and, and just talk to people. I, I, I think that I wish that I, I mean, there were people that I met um, and had opportunities to really spend more time with them. Looking back now, I wish I did. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know why I didn't. I, I guess, um, I don't know if maybe I was shy. Maybe that was one part of it. Um, or I felt as though I didn't want to bother them. And you know mm -hmm. what? I realize now that wasn't them. That was me. That was me saying, oh, I don't want to because it's, it's these tapes that we play in our minds that over time we start convincing ourselves that, we're, that what we're saying is truth. It's not. It's a lie. It's, it's a matter of you need to actually stop yourself and say, whoa, why am I thinking this? Why am I saying this? It's because it's your own fear holding you back from possibilities. And why oftentimes it's, it's that fear of failure. I think, I think embrace the failure, embrace the fact, acknowledge that if you're going to do something new, yeah, you might suck at it at first. You might not do that <laughs> great. I mean, but you yeah. know what? That's okay. That's intended. And I think people recognize 
that you know you you are going to drop the ball a couple of times but i think we have to get out of this fear of being so hard on ourselves um, and saying, well, I shouldn't do that because if I stay in this role, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good at it. I've become kind of the specialist in my role. Well, that's great that you're a specialist, but if you're not that happy in it, specialist just means that you're now complacent and it's a really great excuse to stay where you're at. And that's, that's, that's a pretty blunt, direct comment, but I say well, that good. with true emphasis because I think that people just need to really um, invest in yourself and invest in yourself means you really need to take time to sit back in a quiet room, make a list, make a list of what's important to me. What, what, what am I passionate about? And really um, think about what's my dream job? What is it about that dream job that I'm so gravitated to? And, and really deeply exploring that, that takes time. It takes effort. Um, and that's, you know, time and effort that you have to really invest in yourself. And that's exactly what I think of it. Self-investment. Yeah. I like, um, what is it? It's your own career. So you need to, uh, no, you have no, to own it. You have to own your, own your career, career, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I'm curious. So to that end, there's a lot of obviously self, um, direction that has to come from, from career planning, sort of starting to understand, um, and, and what your next step might be. How do you continue on, let's say within an organization, do, should you, we hear all the time, mentor, sponsor, um, mm. allyship, how, what are your thoughts on that and how to sort of, I, I don't know if the right word is leverage, but I, I think of it a lot as leverage, your, your existing network and relationships you have within your organization or maybe um, extended within the industry. Yeah, so first and foremost, I would say when you're leveraging your network, um, it, I, I think it's really, really valuable to expand your network to people who are in, in roles that are very different from your own. And the reason I yeah. say that is because you can learn so much. You can learn mm -hmm. so much. Um, I think about the company that I work at, at Swiss Re. I mean, I am every single day inspired and humbled by the amount of sophisticated minds. I mean, we have seismologists, virologists, uh, astrophysicists, mathematicians. I'm nowhere near in that, in that caliber. But at the same time, when I intentionally... Um, you know, have catch-ups with, with, with these individuals, despite the fact that I may not know anything about their role, I'm learning every time I talk to them. Um, so I think that as a person, I am learning, I am gaining greater insights and it, you're just able to suddenly just piece things together. It's like your brain, the neurotransmitters in your brain are just these synopsis are happening so quickly. And it's amazing what you pick up. Um, and then you just naturally become much more inquisitive to, to I guess, other aspects of what, what people do. And um, so, so number one, it's, it's leveraging different networks that maybe go beyond mm -hmm. your own company to better understand what other types of jobs there, there are, but, but also just in learning to help you better understand, um, you know, business relations and transactions. But then I'd also, you know, Mentorship. So I think mentorship is a fantastic thing. I think it's absolutely um, vital that you that you do connect with somebody whom um, you you aspire to be, or or if you like something about their role that you want to understand and learn the role a bit better. But in terms of mentorship and, and mentoring others, I think that the biggest piece for me that is so important um, that I, I'm I'm really um, 
I guess, passionate about is coaching. So uh, I guess about four years ago, I, uh, right after I received my bonus, I didn't tell my family, I didn't tell my husband, I didn't tell anybody. I, I took a day off and I took a piece <laughs> of my bonus um, where I think it was like $800 that I, I, I look at, at it as personal investment to me. And I hired a coach. So at that point, I, I was a leader, but I wasn't an executive. And I yeah. really wanted to hire somebody who would help me. And I hired a coach who had nothing to do with insurance. Um, this person was uh, in, in a different um, industry altogether. Um, but I have to tell you, it, it, it was deep introspective work. Um, it was tough work. Uh, but it was the work that I was willing to do because I invested it. It was my own money that I invested in myself. So it was the time and the energy that I had to put in. And it was probably the best gift that I gave to myself. And within doing so, it really helped me. It was like this epiphany. It was, I just all of a sudden realized um, what I really wanted. And it was one of the decisions actually that helped catapult me into um, looking for opportunities in, in reinsurance. I, I just thought well, that's this is what I wanted to do. And so it, it helped push me to the direction that I knew that I wanted to go and needed to go. And the timing in my life was right. Um, so I would, I would say within that coaching experience, um, now in the role that I'm in now, I also had a fantastic opportunity to work with an executive coach from the company. Um, I was very grateful that they did this uh, appointed to me. Um, she was absolutely fantastic too. And, and what I've learned from that and, and various, you know, coaching exercises that I've done, but also, um, courses that I've taken is that. I feel, especially at the leadership level, I feel like we miss the component of coaching into mentoring. And, and I do say that with distinction. And the reason I say that is because coaching, you are absolutely not telling the person or directing the person in any way at all. I think it, we, we, it, it's so natural for us to want to come and jump to the solution right away. Mm -hmm. In coaching though, you're asking a lot more questions so that it it, it really um, creates an environment for the person to think inwardly, to come up with the answers and the directions themselves. And I think that when it comes from within, all of a sudden owning that and owning the future for yourself, um, it, it's just a very organic process because it's coming from within. And all of a sudden you have these moments, you know, these epiphany moments where you start to suddenly realize the direction of where you want to go and more importantly the how so it's 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 executing a plan on okay so how am i going to get there now and whether that means actually physically writing out on paper a grid to say okay if i want to get to here what steps do i need to take over the next you know number of years or months or whatever the case whatever that might look like um but what coaching does though again is it really puts the effort and onus on the person who is the coachee um to really come up with the answer. So the coach is really there as a person who is guiding. And the reason I say it's different in my mind anyways, this is my own personal take on this. It's different than mentoring because to me mentoring, um, you know, in mentoring relationships, you, you actually do help guide the person and, and you are having um, very meaningful and very direct conversations in terms of, you know, uh, whether it's, um, roles that are open, whether it's roles um, uh, that the, you know, an individual might be interested in, but you're, you're talking very strategically in terms of actioning, you know, what might be good for that person to do, because you're maybe giving some examples for the mentee of, of, of pathways that they can take. 
Whereas I said in, in coaching, it's more getting the coachee, the person who is looking for guidance on where they want to go, they're coming up with the answers on their own. So I think it's just, it's a mind shift. And it's really just um, turning the tables and there's a lot more work, I think, deep-seated work that's involved there. And I, and I think that as leaders, it would be great if we could incorporate more true coaching practices within our one-to-one -one, um, uh, discussions with our direct reports. Um, and, and with that said, it's, it's very time consuming. So I think we need to also be cognizant of the time that we're putting in to these um, coaching sessions. If, if that's uh, a place that, you know, an individual wants to, to floor. Um, ho hopefully that was helpful and that wasn't um, too, I, I guess, obscure, but um, I just- Let me see if I can dig deeper a little bit. So sure. the, the coaching commentary definitely re resonates with me. Um, similar to you, I've, I've been lucky enough to have um, worked with an executive coach as well. And the trajectory that I feel like that got me is just I'm nowhere near where I could have otherwise been. I'm curious though, one, most people aren't as fortunate to um, be given coaching opportunity. So if, if you did within your organization already have a mentor-mentee relationship, yeah. how do you recommend people start to transition towards a bit more of the coaching dynamic? Like maybe there's a few sort right. of smaller chunks that people could start, especially thinking um, review time is coming up. So mm -hmm. it's actual opportunity to maybe ask if you trust your boss, would you be up for doing X, Y, Z with me? Cause I think it'd be really meaningful next year or something to that. I don't know, but yeah. Well, I, and, and you know what, Alex, you raise a really good point. I mean, first and foremost, I think um, trust is obviously key, right? If you're going to open up to someone, um, you have to have that trusting relationship. And I would hope that people do have a very trusting, solid relationship with their, their line managers. Um, or if it's not their line manager, if they do have a, a mentor-mentee relationship. And it's asking for that permission, right? First and foremost is um, asking for the permission um, to either give the feedback or vice versa. Yeah. Um, the second piece of that is um, the person who is, is the mentor is recognizing, um, first and foremost, when you're giving your undivided attention is truly being present in, in, in that moment. So, so many times, especially in this virtual environment, I can't tell you how many times we're, we're distracted where, you know, you get a, a pop-up um, link message or you're getting an email message or whatever the case is. So it's, it's intentionally putting yourself on uh, either do not disturb or whatever, because you are focusing this time together, right? And making sure that as a mentor that you are making very cognitive steps and intentional steps to avoid automatically giving the answer or giving the solution, but try to put yourself in that sort of questioning mode, but coming from a place of authenticity because you really truly wanna understand what motivates this person. I think that that's, that's helpful is just genuinely asking. Um, and, I, and I think organically conversations just evolve depending on the, the, the flow of those questions. Yeah, that, that feels like a really good um, starting point in that stop giving the answers. Um, and that's hard, right? I think we yeah. naturally, we, especially as leaders too, we naturally just want to jump to the answer or if we can see where this person's going and we think, oh, I think they'd be fantastic in this role. Um, I think, you, you know, you can very gently 
Ah, this is careful. Yeah, I got to be careful saying this. You can gently persuade somebody, but I wouldn't want to plant the seed. It would more just be, you know, what are yes. your thoughts on, and you can say a number of different roles, but again, um, without actually telling them, I think you'd be really great in this because, because then it's almost as though you're, you're sort of directing them where they should go as opposed to it coming from within, from themselves. Right. That's a good point. Now I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here, but I, I think that this might be a good way to end the call. Um, I find as women and the ISC is predominantly made up of a, a group of women, we're not good at sharing um, our successes. Um, right. I'd be curious if you have one or two things that you would be willing to share with us in terms of what you're most proud of um, so sure. far in your career. Um, I, I think that would be a nice way to, to end this, this session. Uh, sure. So, um, well, there's a couple of things that I'm really proud of. I, uh, when, when I talked a little bit earlier about pushing myself outside of my comfort zone, so Swiss yes. Re um, has a fantastic opportunity where they have, uh, a, it's called adjudication. So it's um, education aid. Um, for uh, specific countries um, that have up and coming uh, students that are, they're, they're usually um, master's students in the business programs that are entrepreneurs and working with, um, uh, I, I don't want to say third world countries, but um, countries that um, may not have the same economic resources that we have here in North America and in Europe. And so I had the opportunity of applying for the, the opportunity to work in Kenya. Um, and I was granted, um, I, was, I was granted the ability to go. So I went last November to work with students uh, that were part of this program. They had finished their um, MBA programs and they wanted to start up businesses. So uh, I, I immersed myself in an aspect of the program that I mean, I knew nothing about business. Um, that was intentional. I didn't want to do something, whether it was, you know, because I'm a leader, I thought, okay, I'll probably be easier to, to speak to maybe, you know, the human resource aspect of it. No, I went into the business acumen of it. So, and I didn't take business at school. I, I majored in psychology um, with the desire to go into speech language pathology. And yet here mm -hmm. I am. 25 yeah. <laughs> years later in insurance. Um, but it was a fantastic opportunity. I learned so much from them. And just that transaction of giving and receiving from these unbelievably inspiring, young, up and coming, brilliant minds, uh, that was a, a wow, a, a, a tremendous experience. And that was a real um, highlight of my career. Number one. Number two was uh, last year, I was the first in my um, group. Uh, we're in the business management um, property and casualty um, uh, unit for Swiss Re. And yeah. we were trying to find ways that we could come up with innovative ideas. And, and uh, I proposed this idea and it actually um, was accepted. And so because of that, we've now changed our scope of um, how we uh, transact on, on the virtual space, so. And I was involved in a big uh, global project. So I can, and I can see we're close to time here, 11.59, so I apologize. No, no, that was, that was fantastic. Thank you um, for, for all the sharing. To everyone that um, tuned in to listen to our conversation, thank you for joining us. And thank you again to um, the ISC and Tina for, for being so authentic with your responses and, and for sharing with us during this hour. Thank you for your time. That was great. Thank you very much, Alex, for, 